It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, April 17th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Palm Springs today may be a bachelorette party destination and golfer's paradise, but that was all created in part through forced evictions decades ago. The California Report brings us more on this story. The National Native News looks at attempts to create a National Day of Remembrance, acknowledging the trauma inflicted by American Indian boarding schools. We've got your local news, which includes disturbing allegations against a Penn Valley man who's been booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility. Then longtime KVMR broadcaster Chris Town closes out tonight's newscast with a commentary on the life of longtime Nevada City manager Burl Robinson. This is the California Report. I'm Mari Bolaños in San Francisco. New data from California's prison agency shows that a controversial 2016 criminal justice reform may be helping some people stay out of trouble once they're released from prison. KQED politics correspondent Marisa Lagos reports. The data shows that after the state instituted the criminal justice reform Prop 57, fewer people ended up back behind bars. More than 55 percent of those released stayed out of trouble, up three percentage points. Prop 57, passed by voters in 2016, allows some people to get paroled from state prison early if they participate in rehabilitation programs. Tanish Hollins is executive director of Californians for Safety and Justice, a pro-reform group that supported Prop 57. The whole intention behind Prop 57 was to create incentives for people to complete rehabilitative programming and reduce the likelihood that they'll reoffend. She says the more the state invests in rehabilitation and reentry programs, the better these outcomes will be. For the California Report, I'm Marisa Lagos. Families who once lived in a Palm Springs neighborhood are seeking reparations. Decades ago, the city forcibly evicted the mostly Black and Latino residents from their homes and leveled the area. LAist's Leslie Berestein Rojas has the story. As evening falls on a recent chilly Sunday, I stand with Alvin Taylor at the edge of a vacant lot in central Palm Springs. The sandy soil is dotted with the remains of cement foundations. Taylor points toward a fence in the distance. Uh, I lived behind the gate over there to the left a little bit. Taylor and his four siblings grew up here in the 1950s. This lot and the surrounding square mile were known as Section 14. Once home to at least 1,000 people, it was a working-class community of mostly black and Latino families. My dad was a carpenter and my mom was a maid. Taylor's dad built their home. Like the other families, they leased land belonging to the Agua Caliente Indian Reservation, on which much of Palm Springs sits. Racist housing policies restricted where families of color could live. Section 14 was a place where they could build and own homes. Old photos show a modest neighborhood with some nicer, larger homes mixed in with small shacks. What Taylor remembers is a thriving community. It looked like home, you know. It was a community where it was safe. I was living next door to people who I know loved me and cared about me. But in the early 1960s, when Taylor was about eight, the family was abruptly advised by the city that they'd have to leave. The evictions had started a few years earlier. Section 14's modest homes were eyesores to officials who wanted to promote tourism. This picked up steam in 1959, when new laws made tribal land available for long-term leases, making it especially attractive to the city and developers. Crews tore down everyone's homes and then burned them, sometimes with people's personal possessions still inside. 
Taylor's older sister, Pearl Taylor Devers, was a young girl at the time. We would come home from school and see a house across the street would be bulldozed over and then set a fire. Or, yeah, we, we saw it. We smelt the smoke. The Taylor's home was burned down, too. The community scattered, and for many, life was never the same. No one was compensated. Taylor Devers remembers being sent away to live with an older sister while her mother found a new place for the family to live. Even to this very day, there's nothing there to even say that we were there. The street's names are changed. It's just, it's gone. Decades later, the Taylors are part of a group of former Section 14 residents and their descendants who have filed a claim against Palm Springs seeking reparations. Their attorney, Areva Martin, says their losses could exceed $2 billion. In February, at a church service held in honor of Section 14 survivors, Martin addressed the crowd. People are awakening to a new understanding of what has been broken and how it must be repaired. The claim comes amid growing awareness nationwide of racist land grabs that robbed families of color of their properties, and with that, generational wealth. In 2021, Palm Springs formally apologized to Section 14 survivors. The city is now searching for a consultant to come up with a reparations program. Most of Section 14 has been developed by now, but the area where the Taylors grew up remains bare. Alvin Taylor says the eviction devastated his family. My dad just fell apart. My dad became an alcoholic. He drank. My mom and dad broke up. Taylor moved to L.A. and built a successful career as a drummer, but he struggled with drugs and alcohol. He says it was a way to mask the pain. A little over a decade ago, Taylor moved back to Palm Springs and was reminded again of how much it all still hurts. The trauma is something that stays there forever. I just remember us being treated like cattle and herded off like sheep. Something he says he remembers each time he sees that vacant lot. For the California Report, I'm Leslie Berestein Brojas in Palm Springs. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives. StanfordMedicine.org. Guideline. Their automated 401k plans can be set up in 20 minutes. More at Guideline.com CA. Guideline, the California way to 401k. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes 11th Hour Racing, working to connect sustainability with sport to help restore ocean health, on the web at 11thHourRacing.org. The defending champion Golden State Warriors will look to even their series with the Kings tonight in Sacramento. Before a raucous crowd on Saturday night, the Kings prevailed in Game 1 of the Best of 7 series. But the Dubs did have a chance to tie it at the end. Here's the call on ABC Sports. Thompson, they switch it. Curry got it off, and he misfires. It's over. He got a look, though, and the Sacramento Kings prevailed. And yesterday proved to be a pretty good one if you're an L.A. basketball fan, as both the Lakers and Clippers won the first games of their playoff series. For the Lakers, it was unheralded guard Austin Reeves who led them in the fourth quarter of their victory over the Memphis Grizzlies. Once again, the call on ABC Sports. Gets inside, off-balance jumper, got it a go! Austin Reeves in his first playoff game, he's got 23! And for the Clippers, star forward Kawhi Leonard led the way with 38 points, including several big buckets in the fourth quarter. Kawhi Leonard for three. Oh, back to back. 
That was the call on TNT. The Clippers continue their series with the Phoenix Suns tomorrow night. And that's the California Report for Monday, April 17th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. The Smithsonian writes, the first American Indian boarding school started in the mid-19th century by the government or Christian missionaries to eliminate indigenous people's ways of life. Now, Montana State Representative Tyson Running Wolf has called on the U.S. government to create a National Day of Remembrance, acknowledging the trauma inflicted by the schools. National Native News has more. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Montana's legislature has passed a joint resolution recognizing the history of American Indian boarding schools and calling on the U.S. government to create a National Day of Remembrance. Montana Public Radio's Ellis Julin has more. Democratic Representative Tyson Running Wolf, a member of the Blackfeet Nation, sponsored the resolution in the House to officially acknowledge the trauma of boarding schools. They suffered physical, sexual, cultural, and spiritual abuse and neglect inexperienced treatment that in many cases constitute torture. For speaking their native language, many children never returned home and their fates have yet to be accounted for by the U.S. government. On the House floor last week, Running Wolf read off a list of 13 children from tribes across Montana who died at the Fort Shaw Industrial Indian School, an hour east of Helena. The school was opened between 1892 and 1910. The youngest to attend the boarding school was four years old. Senate Joint Resolution 6 passed with bipartisan support in both the House and Senate. In 2021, U.S. Secretary of the Interior Deb Holland launched an investigation into the country's past assimilation policies, which included the forced removal of Native American children from their families and tribes, placing them in Indian boarding schools. That ongoing investigation found 18 boarding schools operated in Montana. For National Native News, I'm Ellis Julin. Oregon Governor Tina Kotek's stance on gaming is hypocritical, says the Coquel Indian tribe. The criticism follows a letter she recently sent to the nine tribes across the state. KLCC's Brian Bull reports. In her letter, the governor writes that she does not favor the expansion of gaming, and therefore her policy maintains the status quo from previous administrations. Kotek then highlights the Coquel tribe's application for an electronic bingo facility in Medford and states her opposition to it. That stirred up strong feelings and resentment among some who point to a broad array of state-sponsored gambling in Oregon. John Ivey is vice chair of the Coquel Tribal Council. Truly, the Oregon Lottery is the biggest gaming institution in the state of Oregon. Maybe there's some political gamesmanship going on here when, in fact, it is frustrating and, quite frankly, somewhat hurtful to the tribe. The tribe says Kotek has no authority over the matter, and her stance perpetuates a mythical one-tribe, one-casino policy. The Coquel tribe has sought federal approval for a Medford gaming facility, which would be its second one outside the Mill Casino in North Bend, Oregon. Previous governors have not supported it, and the Cow Creek Band of Umpqua Indians, which runs the Seven Feathers Casino in Canyonville, has also opposed it. For National Native News, I'm Brian Bull. The governor's office did not respond to KLCC's request for comment. A man with strong ties to the western Alaska village of Gamble has been recognized for his commitment and dedication to Native culture and identity. Sam Schimmel is an Indigenous youth advocate who's Siberian Yupik and Kanaitsi. He'll soon graduate from law school. 
Schimmel is the inaugural recipient of the Autumn Apoc Ridley Award given by the Alaska Native Heritage Center in Anchorage. Schimmel is recognized for his work in supporting indigenous culture and ways of life. He says listening closely to elders as a youth as he grew up in Gamble and on the Kenai Peninsula was one of the most important touchstones of his life. They're the ones who instilled in me the, the promise of reciprocity that our communities are based on, the idea that our elders will teach us how to live and how to be in exchange, when we grow up, we will take care of our elders and we will pass down that knowledge onto our children so that they will take care of us. Schimmel received the award last week. The Heritage Center's inaugural community recognition includes an elder award, which was given to the late Dr. Oliver Levitt. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Indian Arts and Crafts Board promotes Indian artists of federally recognized tribes through its online source directory. Information on this no-charge opportunity available at doi.gov IACB who support this program. Support by AARP. AARP creates and connects people to unique tools and programs, helps conserve personal resources, and tackles issues that matter most to individuals, families, and communities. More at AARP.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Now let's take a look at your local news. On Thursday, April 13th, the Nevada County Sheriff's Office investigators arrested 43-year-old Michael McElreath of Penn Valley for alleged lewd and lascivious acts with a person under 14 years old and distributing harmful material to a minor. The arrest follows an investigation into the reported molestation of a juvenile at a licensed daycare facility in the 18,000 block of Lake Forest Drive in Penn Valley. The investigation began after the Nevada County Sheriff's Office Regional Dispatch Center received a call reporting the possible sexual abuse of a minor that allegedly occurred at an in-home daycare facility. Initially, patrol deputies responded, but the following morning, detectives from the Sheriff's Office Major Crimes Unit took over the case and began an intensive investigation. It was then that McElreath was identified as a suspect. Detectives served a search warrant at the in-home daycare facility and arrested McElreath. He was then booked into the Wayne Brown Correctional Facility in Nevada City. The Nevada County Sheriff's Office Major Crimes Unit asks anyone with additional information to contact them at 530-265-1471. A fisherman got the surprise of his life when he encountered a seven-foot alligator in the American River. The Sacramento Bee reports the man told a friend he spotted the alligator on some rocks in the river near Sailor Bar in Fair Oaks, a suburb of Sacramento. The friend then captured the gator, securing its mouth with duct tape and turned it over to the Wildlife Care Association. While the association cares for lost or injured wildlife, it's not equipped to deal with an alligator the size of a person. So it turned the reptile over to the California Department of Fish and Wildlife. The agency took the alligator to a Bay Area facility better equipped to handle the large reptile, but department spokesman Patrick Foy says it died hours later. Quote, it was in extremely poor health, says Foy. 
The agency has opened an investigation to try to find out where the alligator came from, but officials suspect someone had been keeping it illegally as a pet. Although it's a misdemeanor to own an alligator in California, Foy says, typically people acquire young alligators, then abandon them when they grow too large to easily handle. The agency sees one or two such cases annually. Quote, it's not common, but it's not totally uncommon, he continues. An alligator released into the chilly American river in winter conditions wouldn't have stood a chance. Quote, that's almost a death sentence, says Foy. Caltrans is alerting motorists to temporary ramp closures affecting westbound Interstate 80 in Auburn. Several ramps will be closed beginning today through Wednesday, April 19th, between 6.30 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. The three affected ramps are the on-ramp from southbound State Route 49 to westbound I-80, the off-ramp from westbound I-80 to State Route 49, and the on-ramp from Elm Avenue to westbound I-80. CAL FIRE has launched a new online burn permit application platform they hope will offer a user-friendly way to request burn permits. However, even with a valid burn permit from CAL FIRE, residents must confirm it's a permissive burn day with their local air quality management agency. For more information on the online burn permit application, visit burnpermit.fire.ca.gov. All Nevada County Library locations will be closed on Friday, April 21st for staff training. This means normally scheduled library activities have been canceled for that day as well. That includes tech drop-in and stay-and-play at Madeline Helling, Nerd Squad at Grass Valley, and Lego Club at the Truckee Library. Now let's take a look at your local forecast from the National Weather Service. We'll see cool and unsettled weather with showers, mountain snow, breezy winds, and isolated thunderstorm chances for the first part of this week, followed by dry and seasonably warm temperatures late week into the weekend. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight a low around 34 degrees with winds up to 22 miles per hour. Rain showers before 4 a.m., then a chance of rain and snow showers. Some thunder is also possible. Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 50. Tuesday night will be mostly cloudy with a low around 33 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight snow showers mainly between 8 p.m. and 5 a.m. The snow could be heavy at times, a low around 20 degrees. Tonight will be breezy with winds up to 35 miles per hour. New snow accumulation of 2 to 4 inches is possible. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 34. Tuesday night will be partly cloudy with a low around 16 degrees and gusts as high as 20 miles per hour. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight gradually becoming clear with a low around 43 degrees. Winds as high as 20 miles per hour. A slight chance of showers between midnight and 2 a.m. Tuesday, sunny with a high near 63. Tuesday night will be mostly clear with a low around 40 degrees. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Conference rooms and plazas are named after him, and although the memory of Nevada City manager Burl Robinson looms large, longtime KVMR broadcaster Chris Towns' commentary is a remembrance that makes this big local figure all the more personal. I remember the day well, June 3, 1989. It's a Saturday. I'm working in the water analysis lab at Napa's water treatment plant. In the background, I can hear the Cardinals-Cubs baseball game. 
Every now and again, the game is interrupted to give updates from Tiananmen Square in China, where the student uprising was nearing its boiling point. So when the phone rang on that Saturday, the last person I expected was Nevada City's city manager, Burl Robinson. A couple weeks earlier, I was in Nevada City interviewing for the position of the city's water treatment plant supervisor. Burl asked if I was interested in coming up to work for the city. I said yes. Burl's job as city manager lasted 37 years, a record in the state of California. He was my boss for the 13 years of the 24 that I worked for the city of Nevada City. As a staff member attending many meetings throughout the years, I witnessed Burl at his finest. He was a unique storyteller, he had a true gift of gab, and he could recall names, dates, and events with uncanny accuracy. He had a passion for trains, particularly the Nevada County Narrow Gauge, also known as the Never Come, Never Go. His deep interest and efforts led to the creation of the Nevada County Narrow Gauge Museum right next to the in-town campground. Burl had a sign that hung in his office that read, The future of Nevada City rests in the preservation of its past. The look and feel of Nevada City today is a direct reflection of Burl and a host of others' efforts to maintain the sediment behind that sign. And then there was the duck tickets. You see, as a fundraiser on Constitution Day, the Nevada City Rotary held a little rubber ducky race in Deer Creek in an area known as the Plaza. Hundreds of numbered ducks would be dumped into the creek, and the fastest numbered ducks would be declared winners. To win, all one would have to do was to buy the winning ticket with the corresponding winning numbered duck. And Burl Robinson was the all-time grandmaster at selling duck tickets. Second place wasn't even close. Throughout his ongoing years, Burl was at the forefront of many city improvement projects just before the opening and dedication of the newly remodeled City Hall in 2021, I was treated to a personal tour by Mr. Robinson. He was so delighted to show off this shiny new facility. I don't think I ever saw him beam as much as he did that day. And through the years, he educated me, he enlightened me, and at times he enraged me. But from day one, we both recognized we had one thing in common— and that was our passion for the San Francisco Giants. So much so that on the last day before his retirement, he said to me that we probably should have spent more time discussing the water plant operations than we did the Giants. Burl Robinson passed away last week, peacefully at his home just outside Nevada City, surrounded by his family. Over 10 years ago now, when I retired from the city, I fulfilled my young man's dream of becoming a bartender. Burl and his wife, Betty, made it a point to come see me for a glass of wine at both the Mineshaft Saloon and the Old National Hotel. Both times he sold me duck race tickets. The views and opinions expressed on this program are those of the speaker only and not necessarily those of KVMR, its staff, management, board, or contributors. That's our newscast for Monday, April 17th. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and Solbaros and Audiology Associates Hearing Center, connecting the Nevada County community to the sounds of life, offering holistic hearing health care, including hearing tests, earwax removal, hearing aids, and counseling. More information at grassvalleyhearing.com. 
and Miner's Foundry in Nevada City, presenting an evening of contemporary Scottish music, Americana, and rock with Scary Vore on Sunday, April 23rd. Doors at 6.30, show at 7.30. A no-host bar and snacks available for purchase. Minersfoundry.org. Support for KVMR's Future of Radio project comes from AJA Video Systems, empowering the next generation of local journalists and broadcasters. The KVMR News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendonza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off.